Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, Grassman, Sasquatch. Just a few of the names given to the primate-like creature said to roam the woods and remote areas of North America. Tales of this elusive being go back for hundreds of years. Is it mere myth and legend? Or is there truly something more tangible to this phenomenon? Join us on this journey as we discuss the science behind the encounters, the research and the evidence, keeping you updated on the latest findings, ideas and hypothesis. Arrogance gets us nowhere and closing one's eyes doesn't make things disappear nor less real. Today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. It's time to make this subject matter less taboo. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Bigfoot without the BS. Welcome, everybody, to the show. My guests today are Dan Wayne and Ken Walker. Dan Wayne is a filmmaker and a producer of the new documentary, Big Fur, the film about taxidermy and Sasquatch. Ken Walker is a three-time world champion taxidermist. He's also an avid Sasquatch investigator and the star of the new documentary, Big Fur we're going to delve into so listen in as we talk taxidermy sasquatch and big fur i want to welcome you gentlemen to the show thanks for joining me oh it's great to be here thanks for having us first and foremost ken i want to i'll start out with you ken what got you interested in taxidermy and then eventually uh, you know how'd you get into the sasquatch phenomenon well the thing about taxidermy and i've i've been asked this a lot of times you know how you know how do you find taxidermy and and the, the truth is taxidermy finds you it's it's really strange there's a there's just a certain type of person that ends up being a taxidermist and it has nothing to do with their background or anything it's just uh it becomes a, a passion and art and a science all twined together uh, I was a kid, and I was into really interesting things. I liked movies uh, with special effects, you know, stop motion animation, and and I was one of those. And I liked to catch bugs and frogs and go out and snare gophers and things that a country boy does out in Alberta. And and uh, you know, I just started preserving things from learning from books, and that just kind of rolled into it. And I had a a, a, a very early interest in Sasquatch because they would show up in our newspaper in the Edmonton Journal every now and then. And of course, my father would tell me that I really, you know, he, he always said it was people just playing pranks and stuff, you know, but, you know, you wanted it to be real. And then you grow up and you, you tell yourself that it can't be real. And then uh, years and years later, after being a, a professional taxidermist for decades, uh, I started getting stories from hunters that and people that I trusted inherently saying that they had encountered 
Sasquatches. And uh, I found it extremely compelling. And so I decided I was going to look into it. I figure if I look into it, I'll find something. And if there's, if hunters aren't seeing them, then there's, they're not there. If they're there, hunters are seeing them. There's no two ways about it. And yeah, it turns out that, yeah, the hunters are seeing them. And a lot of them, like, like I get so many uh, Sasquatch accounts now. I, I took in four mountain lions this fall in my shop. I kept it really low. All four guys had a Sasquatch encounter for me. Wow. Wow. Well, speaking of Sasquatch encounters, you had an encounter in Alberta. Can you just uh, describe that a little bit? Well, I was, I was, um, I was hunting bears uh, down a road called the Simpson Timber Road west of Edmonton. Uh, about 30 some years ago. And, you know, we would go up and down this road where they had freshly seeded clover. And it was quite a bit of wilderness there. There wasn't a lot of side roads or oil exploration roads at that time or forestry uh, trails for that matter. It was just a, a straight stretch of about 30 miles of nothing but wilderness. And, you know, we'd yell bear if we saw a bear out in the side of the road. Well, I yelled bear because one come peeling out of the w- woods and up onto the road and over the road and jumped across the ditch. And I went, wait a minute, that's a man. <laughs> and then it went up the steep hill without slowing down. And I mean, this thing was booking. If you ever see the Memorial Day footage, that's exactly what I saw. Uh, and it went up and, and I said, who in the world is that? And why is he dressed all in black? He's going to get himself shot. And I figured there must be a seismic line there because of the speed he hit the bush. And there wasn't. He hit solid bush and it's pretty thick up there, you know, and I... I just, uh, it never sat right with me. And the guy with me said, was that a Sasquatch? And I said, no, there's no such thing. I had to be a man um, because it looked like a man, you know. And and uh, that was south of Kidney Lake. And all these years later, they're still they're still seeing him in there, in that particular spot, uh, south of the Freeman River. And yeah, I found the structures in there since I've gone back years later. Some of the structures are very old, but I found them. Uh, and I don't find them everywhere. I just find them where encounters are and where people are saying they're seeing them. So, it, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you'll you'll see it when you believe it. Because even at the time, I didn't believe it could be exactly what I saw. But in hindsight, and knowing that the Sasquatch is out there, it makes far more sense that what I saw was a Sasquatch than a person. Because it was outside of human parameters, the way it ran and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did this really launch you into trying to, you know, eventually figure out what you, what you saw and delve deeper into this, uh, you know, Sasquatch world? Uh, it, that, that didn't really, uh, that wasn't really a factor because it happened so long ago, but you know, what happens when you, when you realize something, you start going through the archives, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the guy gets cheated by his business partner. And if he starts looking back over things that happened, he realizes, man, all the signs were there. <laughs> Um, I remember walking through the Tom Hill tower country, which is also known for sightings and getting hit by a rock. Uh, and I, I remember thinking it must've been a squirrel carried it up a tree. Cause you know, of course you got to rationalize everything. Little did I know that, you know, 30 feet away behind a tree was probably, you know, and it was in a, a remote area. Like there was no people in there. It's something, something threw a rock at me and hit me small rock, but it hit me. I picked up the rock and put it in my pocket and took it back to camp and told the guys. Yeah, so that didn't really that didn't really launch me into anything. You know, that's just in hindsight, that's in retrospect. But um when I actually had people that I knew and trusted very well said, you know, they encountered these things, described them, described footprints, uh, you know, something walking down the Brazu River that basically sunk four inches deep when he barely made a track, you know, and this is a, a guy who knows bears and he said it was 
40 years ago, but it was a Sasquatch. And then another friend of mine, his grandfather encountered one in British Columbia in a logging camp. And it was kind of his dying story to his grandson. And I realized that this, this was a true story. Uh, so then I started looking at, I thought maybe they're extinct, you know, maybe. And I started looking for historical accounts. It didn't take me long to, to, um, find recent accounts, but, but it's funny because my mind allowed me to believe that maybe they lived a long time ago. Uh, it's belief is funny. You only allow yourself to believe certain things. And I, I learned a lot through this whole journey about, about how your belief system is set up. I'm going to switch gears here. Dan, how did you meet Ken and how were you inspired to uh, make this documentary? Well, I, you know, I started learning taxidermy. Uh, I've always been interested in it um, for different reasons. You know, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty urban. I live in the city, but I'm also an outdoorsman. I've always been, you know, a camper and, and, and always spent time mostly in the mountains when I can, but, you know, closer to the Ozarks where I live. And, and I'd been a photographer and, you know, with the spending all the time in front of the computer, I was just looking for something, you know, different to do. That was, you know, kind of old school, you know, that wasn't, wasn't so touched by technology. So I started studying taxidermy and, and I ended up on this forum on the internet where all of these incredible taxidermists were sharing tips with each other and helping beginners like me. And it, it was pretty cool because, you know, in the old days you had to either work for a taxidermist or do like a correspondence course in order to learn how to do it. And, you know, here it was, the internet had really changed things. And the stories, the people that were on this, this forum were just some really interesting characters. And pretty quickly, you know, I became more interested in, in what was going on behind the scenes than actually learning how to do it. And, and the storyteller in me thought, you know, this, this, there's a great documentary here somewhere. Uh, and so I kind of narrowed it down and Ken was one of the, the people I was following and, uh, you know, he's, he's very well regarded, but he's also, you know, really unique in that industry because of his recreations, you know, Ken can, can mount anything. And he'll, he told me once he mounted a thousand pairs and I didn't believe him at first, but now I do, but, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, the, the, you know, a lot of these guys, they'll specialize in mammals or fish or birds, and Ken can do all those things, but his recreations really caused this big stir, you know, in the community. So, so that was one reason I was really interested in him. And, and so we talked one day when I decided it was time to pull the plug and start working on this thing. And uh, he told me he was going to make a Sasquatch. And at that time, I'd never really thought twice about Sasquatch. You know, it, it this is something I never really thought about. It was just this kind of pop culture icon to me. And, and so I thought, well, there's an interesting, you know, angle. And, and as I started to do research, I realized that, you know, there is this huge, you know, Bigfoot community out there and that, and, you know, ironically, you know, I set out to make a movie about taxidermy, but really most of my audience are Bigfooters. So, you know, it kind of worked out good and, and, and it was fun. And uh, I learned a lot about taxidermy and Bigfoot. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it got, got going. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen this documentary, Big Fur, now twice. Um, I watched a while, uh, well, a few weeks back. And then um, just recently, again, just the other night, they, they get caught up for the show. And I had my wife sit down with me and my daughter, who was interested in taxidermy. She had some questions. I thought, well, shoot, I know you're kind of into Sasquatch like your daddy. And 
I sat them down, they watched, and they thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, this film is actually a Bigfooter's dream, obviously, but there's so much that goes into this film. You got humor, because Ken's a funny guy. And yeah. and you have you have oh yeah I was la- we were laughing our butts off and then you have you have uh, you know l- certain life uh, things going on in there and then you have the Sasquatch and you have taxidermy you have the different characters and different conversations and it was I was thoroughly again enthused I'll probably go watch it again but Dan I mean you talked a little bit about it but what exactly did you learn about taxidermy in general and did you learn anything about Ken Walker himself? Well, sure. I mean, I, I got to know Ken pretty well. Um, you know, working on the film, you know, I, I, I learned a ton about taxidermy. And, and I, you know, one reason I wanted to make the movie was to kind of, you know, show the average person that this is a legitimate art form. This is a real art form, you know, and a lot of people don't think of it that way. But it's, it's a really interesting kind of marriage of art and science and craft and when it's done really well, like, you know, the way Ken does it, it's really elevated to, you know, a different level, you know, and, and he's not just the guy making deer heads in his garage, you know, this guy has worked at museums and, and he's worked all over the world and, and it's really pretty fascinating. And he has an understanding of anatomy that very, very few people in the world have because he deals with these animals in a three-dimensional form all day long, every day, you know, and has for 40 or 50 years. So, you know, this is, um, this is something that a lot of people, I think it kind of opened their eyes, you know, I mean, even like, you know, my mom and and like friends of my mom, you know, that didn't want to see it because they thought it was going to be gory, but that's not (laughs) what it's like at all. You know, it really does, you know, kind of show you, you know, what is involved in, in this art form. So, you know, I, I did get to learn a lot by hanging out with Ken, but, you know, I'm a one-man band and I'm doing sound and I'm doing camera and I'm trying to keep one eye open and one eye looking through the lens. And it's hard to really kind of soak everything up. But what I would really learn about taxidermy was when I was editing and going through the footage and I could actually watch what he was doing. And and I wish I had more time to, to practice it myself. But, uh, you know, I do a little bit, you know, when I have some free time. But yeah, it worked out uh, really well that way. You know, it was a, a huge education. And I think that that's a common thing for documentary filmmakers. You know, you dive deep into these subjects and, you know, it's all research and you learn a lot. And uh, and then, you know, getting to know Ken, you know, there were some other taxidermists I thought about making the movie about. And ultimately, I'm really glad <laughs> there are a couple that I couldn't choose. And, uh, you know, Ken... Ken was fun to hang out with. We became good friends. And and even afterwards, you know, touring a little bit with the film before, you know, the pandemic shut us down. Uh, you know, it was, it was a real pleasure, you know? So yeah, we have a, an ongoing friendship now. So I guess when we make this sequel, uh, <laughs> big fur two, big fur two, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> I'm thinking bigger fur and then biggest fur and then, Maybe biggest forever <laughs> franchise. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, one of the pillars to, uh, I mean, in my eyes, when I look at artists and the ones I admire, it, is that they have a tremendous imagination, and that's something I took away from this film was Ken's imagination, uh, and especially, you know, knowing that Ken's made some really unique replications of you know like uh, taxidermy animals such as the uh, the irish elk and the saber-toothed tiger i mean they no longer exist it, and we don't we we don't have any pictures of them we have fossils you know and, and things of that nature but 
Ken recreated these and they look lifelike and they have character to them. Ken, I mean, can you speak a little bit about why you went down that road rather than just sticking to um, animals that you can actually go to the zoo and see or hunt or whatever have you? Well, I, I'm intensely interested in just about all, all aspects of wildlife, but uh, the megafauna of the Ice Age especially is is very interesting to me. Um, now, a lot of those animals are actually recorded, but they're recorded on cave walls and cave paintings. Uh, when I made the Irish elk, I actually cross-referenced about four or five uh, Irish elk cave paintings that were basically uh, 30,000 30, years old. Uh, some of them were, they figure, about 5,000 years apart. And so what I did is I tried to get into the mind of an artist that long ago and extrapolate from each one of those cave paintings what they were looking at and cross-reference and look for, you know, the same thing that, that could be seen in like two or three of them uh, in order to come up with what I like to refer to as an educated guess on what that animal looked like. Um, and it's quite interesting, uh, like the Chauvet Cave, the uh, the Irish elk picture in there, uh, if you look at it, it's it's uh, it's got the head thrown back. It's, you know, the front legs are sticking out, the back legs are sticking back. And the first thing that you realize it's, and it's not level. The first thing you realize is whoever drew this was drawing a dead one because it was on its side. Uh, there's no detail on the head, so the head was very likely removed. And that, that's what makes the head throw back in that pose. But I knew that the shading of the, of, of the detail had to be the most accurate because it wasn't running away from this guy. You know, so basically I could tell from the, 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 the painting that he painted a dead one. Um, and so I knew that that had to be accurate. So I did things like that. Uh, there was a, a, a cave painting of an Irish elk, a bull and a cow, I think a couple of cows, uh, from Cognac Cave. And it was, it's by far the most accurate one. And what was really weird was when I templated the skeleton at the Smithsonian of the actual Irish elk, I basically built it as though I had a real Irish elk hide just from the skeleton, templated it, carved it. And when I stepped back, I got chills and goosebumps because what I was looking at was exactly the the, the unique animal that was in the uh, the cognac cave painting, and I knew right right then and there that I was looking at an actual Irish elk in shape and size, you know. And so I find that to be the most rewarding thing. I wanted to know what they looked like myself. So when I build one, I'm building it because I want to know what it looks like. So I'm going to go as accurate as I possibly can, and really. Um, with the, the taking the Patterson stills and making the recreation of Patty, I did the same thing. Uh, I basically built what, whatever was in that, um, that film. And, and, you know, John Green had a really good size template, uh, chart and I looked at it, but I wanted my own. I didn't want to use his. And so, you know, they were on site, they were measuring the trees they're measuring the rocks, you know, and they came up with their template. What I did is I took one of the photographs where, uh, Patty's walking and you can see the bottom of her foot, all five toes in her pad. And we, you know, you can buy that cast, you know, it's just under 15 inches. So what I did is I just made a little measuring stick from that picture. and I templated the entire creature using the length of the foot, knowing what the size of the track was. And my size chart, my template size template was exactly the same as John Green's. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. You know, looking at the recreation on the documentary, I was I was completely blown away. And we're going to get into a little bit more about that mm -hmm. in the documentary. Uh, you mentioned mm -hmm. Patty as your kind of template. Uh, 
yeah, you really you didn't do any embellishment. You know, you mentioned like the hair length. I, I think you probably use your own discretion on like the hair length. Uh, well, the hair length. What, what I did is I I, I settled on using um, uh, Highland steer uh, hides that I was able to to get locally because I'm looking for something with no underfur, just hair, and that's how they've always been described. Uh, and most primates are like that. And somebody told me the snow monkey has a uh, an underlayer of hair, but it doesn't because I have one in my freezer here. Uh, <laughs> all primates have just one layer of hair. They don't have two stages. Uh, and so I wanted, I needed something like that. And so the cattle hair is just one type of hair. But in hindsight, after I dressed the whole thing up, I realized uh, that from the Patterson stills, the the hair was was um, a little bit longer than it needed to be. So I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking as we speak for a cow that is intermediate between an average cow and a uh, Highland steer. And I, I had a witness come in here, a woman. That they almost hit one on a highway in BC. They slammed on the brakes, and it was standing beside their vehicle on the highway. And she looked at it and she said, "Wow, that's exactly what I saw." Except for she saw a big male. She showed me a picture of the footprint. It was 19 inches long. Uh, she said that the top of the car didn't even come up to its butt. And she said you could see the hand through the side window right beside her daughter. She said it was close enough her daughter could reach out and touch it. And she said the hair was shorter. That's what she told me. She said it wasn't quite that long. Yeah, so I mean, there's a there was backup for what I was looking at. Now that being said, I have talked to witnesses who have seen them with longer hair, especially up in the mountains in the Rockies and west of. Uh, Those are the hippie Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hip squatch. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, so so I mean, I, ha- I was able to extrapolate a lot of things. So that you know, in hindsight, but I mean, when you're recreating something like that, it isn't like you can, you know. You don't really know how long it's going to look. That's one of the reasons why she looks so so big. Um, she looks probably a little more bulky than she should because of the hair length. And uh, you know, when you when you're doing taxidermy and you're making forms, you'll realize that uh, you have to take into account the hair length in order to balance out your proportions properly. And uh, so, I'm really looking forward to making another one. I've got some ideas. Oh, fantastic! I mean, I couldn't imagine imagine looking at something as close to Patty other than what you've recreated. It is uncanny. Yeah. Um, I think another guy sent me some pictures here recently that, uh, there's some doing some, uh, they're doing some investigations and they actually got some photographs of some Sasquatch. Um, uh, and they're not bad photos, like, you know, as far as photos go, but there's one where you can see half of the face and you swear that you would swear that they propped up my model behind that tree. You would swear to it. I told the guy, I said, that's like my model. And he says, well, your model must be accurate. So I said, you haven't seen it? And I sent him a picture and he just went, wow. You know, I, it, I'm, I'm starting to, and I'm talking to witnesses who've seen them. And uh, uh, and what, one guy was really interesting. He said, uh, he looked at it and he said, that that was bang on. That was actually the trapper. He said, bang on. He said, except for he had a incident with one. And he said, they have different faces. He said, he's seen about seven clearly. And he said they have, they're like people, they vary a lot. And he said that the, one of the big females he saw was uh, the same size, but said she had a pointier head and she had a pointed chin, whereas Patty has a round chin. Uh, and he said her head looked like a football. You know, so it's really interesting the feedback that I have with this model uh, from witnesses because it's been critiqued by people. So I've I've really, since I've built it, I've actually got a, a, a pretty good oversight on what, uh, what it is uh, that I'm that I need to change, or how much they, for example, vary. 
even in the, in the film, the Big Fur documentary, uh, you had mentioned that you would only feel successful with your Sasquatch creation if someone would look at it and say, that's what I saw. I know in yeah. the, in fact, I know in the documentary as well, there was a, a woman who said she kind of snuck into a World Taxidermy Championship room where you had this thing stationed, the Sasquatch stationed. And, and she said, that's pretty much exactly what I saw. So, I mean, Dawn, yeah, Dawn Lorondale. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. Yeah, she she had two good sightings, and and it, Dan actually had a more of her in the film. He he accompanied her to both uh, sites where she had her her sightings, and uh, uh, and it's what what's really cool is the the one where where we're together out in the woods there, and we were looking at uh, where she had seen one, and it was a gray one that, that shone silver in the sunlight, and uh, it just so happens the trapper told me that that's where the biggest Sasquatch he knows of lives. Now he's the biggest track that he knows of, and when I stood where that thing was, uh, where she that she saw, and this is in the winter time, and he said that thing doesn't show up in that area till December, and uh, I basically came up to its hips. My my eyes were the level of its hips, and uh, and we I I think it's the same one that the trapper told me about because it's the same place and the same time it shows up. Uh, so and it's obviously a big old male because you know they get gray. And uh, there's a, a winter habituation there with a cave, where the the trapper told me that in the winter time, just the ba- just the big males ca- uh, collect food. He only sees the uh, big male tracks in the winter. He doesn't start seeing the medium and small ones again until it warms up in March. So yeah, she was a good witness, and she, she was very smart. Uh, you know, Dan spent a bit of time filming her. Yeah, and she's also uh, in in the film. So, um, yeah. so very very interesting, and w- what a beautiful area. Um, she kind of goes through that, you know, for you yeah. Bigfoot enthusiasts. She kind of goes through the area. It's it's an amazing area, just beautiful. It's huge. It's <laughs> vast. Yeah, <laughs> I work yeah. out in the Olympics out here in Washington, and it's vast. But uh, some of those areas up there, I, it, they're just tremendous, ridiculously huge. One of the most compelling things I, for me personally. Um, having you know watched Big Fur and, and seen your creation, this this patty like Sasquatch was the eyes of the Sasquatch. I have to admit, when I was watching the film, I could see intelligence and emotion in the eyes of this recreation. Yeah, uh, what was really interesting about about that is, I mean, I had all kinds of reference. I was looking at you saw that I was looking at pictures of chimpanzees. Uh, you know, I, I firmly believe the Sasquatch is a hominid. Um, and so there's going to be human-like qualities, but I've also talked to people that says when they look at you, they look at you with the the, the ambience of an animal, which really scares you. You know, it's, it's like looking at a huge man that isn't quite right in the eyes, you know? Uh, and so, and then I talked to other people that, that said that uh, they looked very intelligent and the eyes were soft, like I explained that too. So um, after we had made the model, I actually took the eyes apart, uh, that that were in the uh, that were in the first uh, take of the model, and because when you'll see the long eyelashes, and what I basically did is I took the the eyelashes from the cow, and I I put them and I modeled them back in like I would taxidermy, uh, because I wasn't quite happy with the eyes, so I wanted to get the proper eyelashes in there, and that's one of the reasons why it looks so different uh, from when you see me making it, you know, when I'm using the pink epoxy. Right. So when you see the final one and you see the eyelashes, I actually changed them. Yeah. And, and uh, I plan on, on doing another one. I'm going to go a different route um, and I'm going to use latex instead of uh, uh, polyurethane for the, for the skin. I'm going to use latex. 
and uh, there's just some better ways to do it. And I also, there's, there's just, you know, we made this, we made that Sasquatch pretty quickly because we were under a bit of a constraint and had to get it done. And I, you know, because, because of all of the, you know, faulty all going on around here, uh, you know, we had to almost force it to get it finished. And, uh, sometimes when I look at the model, I can see that I forced it and I, I would like, I want another shot at it. Well, I'm, I can't wait to see uh, what you come up with next. <laughs> That's for sure. But well, uh, I want to yeah. do a mail too, a big mail. I really want to do a big mail. Well, of course. Uh, yeah. I'm sure uh, Patty had a mate at some point, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the all of the witnesses I've talked to who've seen these these ma- the big males, like those things are huge up here. Uh, you know, a 19-inch footprint, that's a 10-foot tall creature. Uh, it's like the trapper told me that if you ever see one of these males, he says you can't believe how massive they are. And he said not only that, he says you can't believe how fast they move. He says they move like lightning. And he said and they're massive in size. He says, not big. He said, they're massive. He said, they have legs like garbage cans. And, uh, you know, like well, Patty, I guess Patty is around the seven foot mark. And, uh, you know, these things can be up to upwards of 10 feet tall or more even, you know, that's, that's, uh, I think that, that if I, if I can sit down and build uh, a big male, I think that that'll really get people's attention. Well, Dan, you know, you spent three years filming Ken and, and this whole process. And when you're, you're sitting there, you know, filming and, and talking with Ken, creating this female Sasquatch, what was just going through your mind? <laughs> I was thinking, let's get this thing done. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, we did it in bits and pieces because, you know, Ken, Ken's a one man shop and he's, you know, he's running his own business. And, you know, like he said, you know, like, in a slow month, somebody brought in four cougars, you know, you know, he's always got work in there. He's always got stuff he has to do. It's, you know, paying the bills. So it's not like, you know, he can drop everything and start working on the, the Bigfoot. So we would plan it, you know, in advance. I'm in Kansas city. So, you know, I'd make plans to fly up there and, you know, we work on it for a week or so. And almost every time I would, you know, extend my trip up there longer than planned. Um, but, you know, there were always things that, you know, I mean, Ken, he'd never done this before. And I don't think anybody had really done it like Ken had done it. And, and so he was kind of learning as he went. And, you know, there were always these kind of challenges along the way, the things that he had had still to figure out, you know, the eyes were a big deal. You know, it's like there were these conversations back and forth with Tony who was making the eyes and, and, you know, it took a long time to get those made. They were very custom and, and, you know, the hair, he didn't know how he was going to do that for a long time. He didn't know what the pose was going to be. So it was really kind of this process of, of discovery, um, which was fun. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's fun. I think, you know, watching, you know, a, an artist who has mastered his craft, you know, work like that. And so, you know, it was always, it was always a kind of an adventure going up there and what's, you know, seeing how things developed. Say one of the things that Dan could probably tell you too was that throughout the process that uh, you know everything was done according to the reference. You know, I mean there was there was no guesswork. Like if there was a guess, it had to be highly educated guess. You know, um, you know, even watching the the slowed down videos of how she walked, um, everything was. You know, we went back to the to the reference. You know, everything. Uh, was done that way. And Dan will tell you this is that it wasn't like, wouldn't it be cool if she did this? Yeah. Let's make her do that. It was, no, we had to, we had to follow the reference. Um, 
you know, and, and what, like one of the things that people notice uh, when uh, Patty walks is that she, her shin is parallel to the ground as she draws her leg forward and then she stat- flattens her foot out. There's no heel strike. The foot goes down flat. And you try to walk like that and you really have to pick your leg up really high in order to get your, uh, uh, to get your, your shin bone parallel to the ground. Now, the reason she does it is because her foot is longer than a human foot. But the really thing that really blew my mind was that uh, the shin is actually, the shin bone is shorter than the femur. Or the, and uh, that's apes. That's not human. It's not, that's outside of human parameters. So she has to walk like that because in order for her foot to clear the ground, and because they use a compliant gait, she never really straightens her leg. So when she draws her leg forward, in order for her foot to, to clear the ground, that short shin is parallel to the ground. Now, you know, people who say there's somebody in, in a suit, if they're in a suit, they had, they took a couple inches out of their shins. I can tell you this from templating it. Uh, you know, everything on that, that, uh, I, when I, I looked at Bill Munn's work, uh, in, in the, uh, the proportions later, and he, he came to the exact same conclusions that I found in templating the, the pivot points and the bone length. Yeah. And you that's, know? yeah, it's really fascinating because uh, I, I'm a big fan of Bill Munn's work. And then you, you actually kind of, replicate the the you know patty's walk a little bit in the film and explain that a little bit and uh like i said in this film there's just there's just so much to take away <laughs> so much to take yeah. away in fact you got me in a little bit of trouble ken because uh i'm watching <laughs> i'm watching this film with my daughter and ken most parents give their kids pretty typical gifts right uh <laughs> yeah. clothes toys cash you know blah 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 <laughs> You uh, gave your kids two taxidermied. I mean, you gave them cats. My my daughter's like, I want a snow leopard or a tiger, and I'm. <laughs> I'm like, oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, right. Tigers, tigers are doable, but snow leopards, man, that's a tough one. Those things are worth a pile of money. I just lucked into one. Uh, you know, they die in the zoo, right? But yeah, I gave I gave one to Patrick and I gave one to Chantel, the tiger, uh, more to stop me from selling them. Hmm. You know, someday I'm short of money and then somebody comes along and buys it and I'm bad for that. And I thought, well, if I, if I do it this way, then I won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I, I, I'm like, there's a lot I can, you want a pony? <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah. Um, no, I, I, I just, I thought that was hysterical, but also actually a very unique and cool gift. I mean. Yeah. I still have to finish the base on Patrick Snow Leopard. Uh, He's in law. He's a law enforcement officer now. He's uh, he's a good kid, and uh, my uh, my daughter's a taxidermist now. Oh, fantastic! Wow, yeah, I didn't I didn't see that coming. I really didn't. Well, she sounds like she's into Sasquatch as well from from uh, watching the film. Well, I think you know the the thing about uh, my family is they they all know me well enough to know that I'm not a liar. Um, you know, so they they basically trust me. The the reason that they you know, and I and I'll sit down and show them things. But I tell everybody, you know, I said, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to convince you. Um, and, and, uh, you know, but, but you should look at the evidence before you, you know, form an opinion. And then, you know, and people always have the same argument. Well, how come they haven't found one or how come they haven't done this? And so I tell people straight up, I said, if they exist, these people you call they, they know about them. I says, if they exist, they know about them. And I, and there's all kinds of, of anecdotal evidence that supports that they know about them. 
you know, just, just what happened when I had them test the DNA, I, I realized I should never have taken it in there. You know, there is knowledge. There is a certain amount of knowledge at an official level of this creature. I was actually listening to um, Cliff and Bobo's show, Big Fun Beyond. We're big oh, fans yeah. and they're good friends yeah. of mine. You were talking about a nest. It's, it's mentioned in the, in the documentary as well, but a nest that you were led mm-hmm. to. Can you talk a little about the nest and the scat found there? Because listeners of Monster X know of some of, uh, some of the work that the Olymp Project's doing that I'm involved with, you know, with Derek Randall's and mm-hmm. the gang, uh, working on some ground nests that we were led to as well. And so I'm very fascinated about these, this nest that you came across. And I think you'd mentioned on Clip and Bobo's show seven of them or so. Can you just talk a little bit about well, that? Well, uh, the one that we found... Uh, the first one that we were were actually shown to was uh, I was the trapper had sent had drawn me a map, but he didn't want to go back there, and uh, so his his brother, who's one of my best friends, came with it. He's also these these guys are like these are guys major trappers, like unbelievable wolf trappers. Like these guys, nothing escapes them. And so when we found where this nest was, uh, the one guy told me he said, "Look at the grass. Like it was there was." There, there was grass that was carried into a muskeg area. It doesn't grow there. It had to be pulled and carried, but it was pulled in the winter and there was broken uh, soil attached to the roots, like the, where the, the grass had been pulled so hard out of the ground that the ground had broke because it was frozen. And it's like the trapper told me, he says, have you ever tried to pull a handful of grass out of frozen ground? He said, I, the only way I can think of doing it is if I wrapped it around the fork of my tractor. He says, you can't break grass out of the ground like that unless you have the strength of a tractor. He says, whatever pulled this, this grass out of the ground was, was strong enough basically to bench press a Tacoma. And, and, I, and I looked at that and it was, that was amazing. That amazed me. And uh, this, this bed was, was about 10 foot around and it was just really thick grass and everything was brought there and it was just off the road it was in a very strategic on a ridge where where there was probably two downhill escape routes from that uh from that nest so if he had to get out of dodge he had two ways to go depending upon where the danger was coming from where he could run downhill uh so it was strategic and because there was about 30 piles of scat this thing had lived in that nest for probably over a month yeah, it wasn't overnight. No, no, it right? was a it was a strategic yeah. place, and uh, so, uh, anyways, uh, the thing had gotten a foul in a foul of a, a three thirty conibear trap on that particular spot. I don't want to go into the detail on how that happened, but uh, it pulled the trap apart within mm-hmm. thirty feet, which is never happens. No, nothing can do that. The only way you can do that is if it's hardened steel, and uh, you know you'd have to have hands to do it. And I ended up with a big bag of uh, actual hair and skin attached to it from that particular incident. Uh, and that went to Dr. Bendernagel and it vanished. And uh, Tyler Huggins mm-hmm. spent a lot of time trying to track it down. And it just vanished. Um, you know, and that's really too bad that I sent it all at once. But the, the nest, uh, in the spring when I went back, something had come back and cleaned the whole thing up taken everything and, and cleaned it all up. And, and I tr- checked with the people that knew about it. And everybody basically said, no, we had nothing to do with cleaning up. And why would we do that? And then I read an, an anecdote on some kids who, who saw a Sasquatch get out of a nest. And they said that when they went back, it had actually taken the nest apart. Um, you know, they're just, they're just in highly intelligent and stealthy creatures. 
at this particular nest site, was there a body of water nearby, a creek, a river, or a lake? Or anything well, there like always that? is uh, up there. Yeah. You know, like there's there's springs, there's, uh, you know, there's little trickle creeks. And, and, and this area here was like those knobby little mountain hills. And, uh, you know, the, I mean, the ground is, if, if you would have gone through the trees and down, you would have hit uh, probably some muskeg springs right away. Yeah, and and the other thing too that the trapper pointed out was this thing used to stand up in that nest and grab the same two branches, and it wore about eleven foot, uh, eleven foot, eleven inch wide uh, hand hand grips on two 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 big branches where it grabbed it every time it stood up like it was bored, and it just always grabbed in the same place. And he said, "Look at this." He said, "It always grabs in the same place, and you could see that it had done it over a long time." And it wore the bark off in about 11 inch wide grips on, on two of the branches that came out. Like the branches were probably an inch and a half diameter. And, you know, so obviously it just had a habit of standing up and grabbing in those same two places just to pass time. And they say the details that these trappers see is amazing. And I, in hindsight, man, it would have been good to, to scrape the, the bark off of those branches and maybe get some skin cells, but. Mm-hmm. I think DNA is, is, I had one biologist that I communicate with and he tells me things kind of off the record. And he told me basically, forget about the DNA says you're going to need a skull or a body. And, uh, you know, so I've, I don't, I, I, I was big into trying to get DNA evidence, which I did, uh, but not no more. Uh, you know, even the, even the people at, in the, that I knew in the fish and wildlife told me that, uh, Keep keep any any evidence you have safe and and uh, if there's ever a type specimen, then bring it back out again, and then they'll be able to identify it. You know, um, I just I find the whole nesting very fascinating, and, and I I'll be honest with you, I'm still in the in the realm of collecting as much DNA and whatnot. I'm not necessarily sending it off. I mean, for example, you have uh, scat still in your <laughs> most likely yep. Sasquatch scat in your freezer. Well, it was in that nest, and that's what it was. Well, they, the the guy from Foothills Enforcement, he's retired now. I'm not going to say his name, but he was the head of Foothills Enforcement for the, the whole state of El, province of Alberta. And they weren't supposed to tell me what the, the results, but he told me. And uh, he said that it was inconclusive. And I thought they, they meant they didn't find DNA right. at that time. I didn't know much. He said, no, we don't know what it is. It's not in GenBank. And he said, listen, this is the result you wanted. And that's how he told me. And then he said, um, they want to know where you got it. You know, this, everything, you know, he had some questions and, uh, I said, would they be willing to put down that it could possibly be what I said it is? He said, no, they will not do that. Unequivocally won't do that. And I said, well, I said, when they're ready to do something like that, I said, I'm tired of people calling me, you know, crazy. I said, uh, and he basically said, look, I don't blame you. He said, just uh, keep it safe. And if there's ever anything to compare to bring it back out. Uh, but he, his tone changed completely after they tested it. I don't mean to put you on the spot here, Ken. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I probably will not get an answer, but I'm going to ask you anyways, because one of the things you had mentioned in, in this documentary, you mentioned something about final proof, conclusive truth and your possible involvement towards, it was towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering if there was any chance you could elaborate a little bit on that. I, I just was intrigued. Well, everybody <laughs> knows about the Sierra kills. I mean, that turned into a, just a stupid fiasco. And let's just say that because I'm in the hunting community, I have more instances like that, and I have better ones than that. Gotcha. And some of them still to this day could bear fruit. 
uh, it's just that I don't, I just don't share them anymore because I was accused of a lot of things over that. Like I, all as I wanted was all as I want is proof, man. I don't ever, I don't want a, a flat nickel for this, but I, I was working with something that was really, really, uh, and still is actually really good. And it's, I mean, um, down the road, if this ever comes out, this, this story, uh, Dan knows it. And if it ever comes out, it would, I mean, it would make a Hollywood movie. It would be amazing. And it ties into a lot of other stories, even stuff with Mr. Meldrum that he doesn't quite realize from being out in that area. Um, but yeah, so things just, things just ground to a halt. Dan. What do you want people to take away from Big Fur, from this film, this endeavor of yours? What do you want people to, to come away with? Oh, gosh. You know, it, you know. originally, I, I was just wanting people to recognize taxidermy as this, you know, real art form. But, uh, you know, as things evolved, I think, you know, it, it, it took all these different turns, as you've noticed, you know, when you, when you saw it, you know, of course, there's the the whole Bigfoot element, which I had never thought of. And, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't try to prove that Bigfoot is real in the movie, but I certainly, you know, give enough information that, you know, if, if people are interested, they could, they could look into it more. And I kind of, you know, just think people should have more of an open mind about it. But, but also I think one of the biggest things that, that I personally, you know, kind of explored in making the movie was, you know, the value of wilderness. Um, you know, part of it was, you know, going up into the habituation area up there in the Cardinal River Valley and, and seeing, you know, how industry had changed the landscape and how, you know, precarious all of the wildlife is there, you know, not just Bigfoot, but all of the animals that share that landscape. And so, you know, I think that ultimately, you know, if I was going to, you know, have a lofty goal for the film, it would be that, you know, people, people would contemplate the value of wilderness. You know, is it important to, to save this habitat for Bigfoot or is it important to save this habitat because it's important for all of the wildlife that, that, and that we share it with? Yeah, I think, I think Dan did it, made it, he made a really good movie for people who don't know about the subject matter. Uh, like, and that includes taxidermy and the environment and, uh, and Sasquatch. And, you know, what I really like about it is there was no preachy message in this show. I hate that. It, and it's getting to be a problem in, in, it's getting to be a problem in films. You know, there's people that, that feel like that has to be the formula. You know, there was, there's humor in it. It's like, you know, if you think the guy's crazy, great, you know, he doesn't care, but uh, you know, and, and it, it just put, it just kind of, really brought the subject into people's uh you know into people's wheelhouse without being preachy like you know just it just gave them it gave people a reason to look further into it if they wanted to it just piqued their interest and uh it wasn't judgmental it really was done in a very kind and friendly way uh i really really uh in hindsight when i look at it i don't think it could have been done a lot better um you know, there's people in, in the industry says, well, taxidermy movies should be this. Well, you're bored of it. You've been doing it for 20 years. This was, <laughs> this was basically a, a bridge between the people that really need to understand us better, uh, whether you're a Bigfooter or, uh, 
you know, into taxidermy. It, it, it just was a very good bridge for the fence sitters to, to see us in, in a very positive and acceptable way. I think he did a great job. Fantastic job. I mean, I came away thinking, wow, I, I could, I could watch another hour of this. Um, I, I want a sequel, uh, uh, you know, a follow-up. Dan Wayne here did a fantastic job and Ken, I could watch you on TV all day. You're, you're just a heck of a character. <laughs> <laughs> you should see the bloopers, man. <laughs> oh my God. They're so funny. Like he had a real, like, I think they're on the, the Blu-ray, the special edition Blu-ray that Dan is. Yeah. Selling, you can, but... you can get those on my <laughs> website. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, they like, yeah, we made the film PG, but some of the bloopers aren't, but it's funny. I mean, <laughs> there, there's, there's some moments in there. Like, I forgot all about it. He, I cracked myself up, you know, but he's got a lot of that stuff. Like he's, he said he has been cataloging it and, and uh, you know, there's some, there's some things that I, we, we, we had some pretty funny times. Oh, I could imagine Mr. Uh, Roy Orbison here. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, I didn't really want that to be in the film when in the beginning, like he's trying to get me to sing downstairs and I'm like, man, I'm rusty. And I just, but you know, when, when we ended up going in the studio in Kansas city, and I got to write the theme song uh, and then work with these great musicians. And I, I do write a lot of music. Uh, and and then actually, you know, sitting there watching them mix down this song that we, we all just came up with right in the session called Big Fur is Gonna Fly. Yeah. And it was on my bucket list. Like, there, there's these guys mixing down, you know, an original song that we did. That was great. And, and of course, the song In Dreams uh, that we did, like, I didn't even think I could sing that again because it's hard to song to sing and I'm getting old. Uh, but we got, we were able to get through it and I thought it added a really nice moment to the film. Like it's probably my favorite part. Uh, Dan is, is, is any day now is going to release that, uh, (laughs) on a, on a, on a video. Like we've, we did, we recorded pretty woman and it's on YouTube, but pretty woman didn't make the cut. And then of course, big fur is going to fly. That's on YouTube, but in dreams, we'll have that, uh, out pretty soon. That's probably my favorite of the three songs. (laughs) Uh, I just Uh, thought it was an interesting element to the whole show. Yeah, uh, you know, and then and then there's the scene where I was actually like I didn't I didn't do a Roy Orbison impersonation when I sang those songs we recorded. I just said to Dan, I want to sing these just with my own voice. I don't want to impersonate Roy. I just you know, uh, but I did impersonate him in the one scene where I was holding my daughter and I was practicing. Uh, uh, it's over, and you know, it's. I said I, I said Ted to Dan. I said, uh, why didn't you put more of that in there? And he says, because your kids taped over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a VHS, and there were some cartoons after that, or something like that. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> Good stuff, man. <laughs> but it, yeah, that was that was an interesting. You know, it made the movie that much more entertaining. It really it did. did. It made it more real. It just it made it more real for me. And like I said, uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed Big Fur. I'm gonna watch it a third time here. And and uh, Dan, where where can people find your documentary? Your your website. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. Yeah, you can, right now it's streaming um, on Amazon Prime. So if you're a member, which almost everybody in the world is, uh, there's no extra charge to stream it. Um, if you're not a member, it's it's available for rent or purchase on just about any platform that you normally rent or purchase films from. And uh, you can go to my website, which is bigfurmovie.com. And there's almost always going to be a link there that tells you where to watch it. But right now, the easiest way is Amazon Prime. 
Okay. Okay. Ken, how, how about you? Do you, do you uh, want to put some information out there for contact? I get, you know, we have a lot of Canadian listeners and, and, and obviously everybody from across North America that may, you know, maybe have an encounter or know something. Uh, is there any contact information that you'd like to provide? Uh, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really marketing the movie or anything like that, but if anybody's got a dead one in their freezer, just come over. <laughs> hey, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to edit that because uh, <laughs> I'm going to send him my way first. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'll... Um, no, you know, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the movie and it's funny because uh, I have a, a, a student, a really nice student, uh, and she wanted to come up here uh, and spend some time up here. And she said, do you think that we could... Uh, you know, maybe maybe Dan will make Big Fur too, and I can I can be in it. And I le- I said to her, I said, "Have you seen the first one?" <laughs> 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 it's just, you know, mm. I got a I got a kick out of that. But but no, it would I I would I would love to. Um, there's some things that I'm I'm looking for. Like Dan's kind of on on retainer here. If 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 uh, if I ever find anything conclusive. Let's just say there's some code words that he will be up here, and Excellent. Uh, and you know it will be, it'll be the final chapter, but it'll be a sequel, and it'll be a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that that could happen, and, and I think I, I hope it does. But uh, you know, but other than that, it's Dan's movie, um, and really, I wish more people would watch it because uh, you've watched this movie twice. You're going to watch it a third time. You know, that is absolutely unheard of for an independent documentary. It is. Um, in fact, I heard Bobo from, uh, finding Bigfoot. You guys did a, you did an interview with him and he, he'd watch it at least three times. So, uh, I, I gotta call him. He's a great guy. I gotta hang with that guy. He just looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> he, he's a, yeah, he's a blast. He's a good friend. And he uh, makes his way up from California up to Washington here and there. And we do, we hang out. He's just an absolute blast. <laughs> you guys well, get along I, great. You guys are welcome to come up here. I'll take you to the habituation. There's some places up there where nobody knows about, um, and uh, like it's it's profound. But you know, if you guys want to come up sometime, that would be great. Anytime, if the, they ever open the borders again and the world stops losing its marbles, um, you guys are always welcome to come up here. I'd love that. Well, uh, Ken, that goes both ways. If you're ever in uh, Washington State. Um please reach out to me and we'll go hit up the sure. Olympics and uh, yeah, have a great time. But I really appreciate the offer. Uh, you know, hopefully yeah. we get a little bit back to some normalcy here and we can actually do this stuff. <laughs> Tell so. me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really hope so because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with all this. I'm, I'm ready to, to travel again. Yeah. I'm itching to travel too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. Oh, wow. But uh, Hey guys, thanks again for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, for those listeners out there, definitely check out big fur. Dan did a fantastic job and uh, Ken, it's just an amazing thing to watch him uh, recreate a, a life-size Sasquatch. So thanks again, guys, for joining me here. Thanks. Jay. Oh, thanks Jay. It was fun.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.